Welcome to Common Ground Church Rondebosch, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believe that if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything. Our sermon podcast aims to unpack this reality, rooted in scripture and dependent on God's spirit. The book of Galatians is a gospel clarifying letter that unpacks the richness and completeness of what Jesus did for us in his death and resurrection. It clearly defines what the gospel is and is not for its readers. It helps us realize the depths of God's love for us in a life of relationship and obedience to Him in His power. Please continue listening for today's message. Good evening, church. Um, I will be reading from Galatians 1, verse 1 to 5, and then 1, verse 11 to 24. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is called by God. For I would, have, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not by man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard from my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God and violently tried to destroy it. And I, was advanced, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who sent me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and I returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Jesus Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. Thank you, Katie, it was amazing. Good evening everyone, my name's Ian. For those of you who might not know me and it is good to be with you this evening and carrying on our Galatians series. Um, sorry, this thing's really high. Um, and Josh is laughing because he asked me, do you want me to lower it before I got up? Um, but it is good to be with you and uh, continue our Galatians series. Like I said, we are in week two. Last week, Jane did such a great job of unpacking the book and kind of the big themes and where we're going and wetting our appetite for this book and, and kind of unpack the reality that this book is, its primary central message is how do we find peace with God and peace with each other? And we're going to be unpacking the, this book for 20 weeks. We've broken it into three parts. And between each of those parts, we're going to do other series. And we are in part one, defining the gospel and looking at the definition of the gospel and what Paul is trying to speak to. And he speaks of this message that brings peace to God and peace 
between us and people. And it is a, a message that has incredible power to transform our lives. I don't know about you, but there are, we live in a time and a generation where there are lots of messages available about how to transform our lives, about how to get better. There is a lot on YouTube. There's a lot on TikTok. There's a lot on Instagram. It's actually all the same thing that they just post on three different platforms, but there's still a lot. There's a lot out there of how do we become better as people? How do we grow? You know, you can go and buy that book, 12 Rules for Life. And it's all about how you become a better person. You can, um, mindfulness and this whole idea of, of if we just think deeply about who we are and get a bit introspective and we, we, we set the goal of just getting 1% better every day, we can incrementally get better over time. And as we incrementally get better over time, then society will get better over time. This is a, a loud message in our culture at the moment. And... Um, there are many, many different ways and messages promoting. And as we look to Paul this evening and the, the impact of the gospel on his own life, we're going to see that the message that Paul comes with, the gospel, is completely different to every other message out there. Because where those messages would say the power rests within yourself to change, the message and Paul's experience of that message is, no, the power is from outside of myself. And I need to rely on who God is and what he's done. This is not a message that says do better. It's a message that says what needs to be done has been done. And that's what we're going to look at this evening. And as we do, we're going to see Paul contending for the gospel. We're going to see the origin of the gospel. And then we're going to look at the power of the gospel. I'm going to pray and we're going to get started. Father God, we love you. We trust you, we delight in you, we, we get to worship and you pour out your spirit and we get to experience your presence and we, we get to delight as sons and daughters of experience the goodness of a living God who, who loves us and gave himself for us. And Father, so much of worship was singing a loud song, declaring the goodness of God, but not just singing it, experiencing it in the same moment. And as we turn to your word now, God, would we continue to experience your goodness and the life-transforming power of your gospel? And would we experience and encounter the living God? We don't want to come to ideas. We don't want to come to empty words. We don't want to come to messages that turn all the effort back onto ourselves. We want to come to you, Jesus, the one who's done it all, and, and encounter you in such a way that we are changed no matter who we are. God, would you work in power tonight? We love you. We trust you. You are our great hope. Amen. Amen. Let's look at that first one, contending for the gospel. So this greeting, verses one through five, is probably one of the most muted greetings that Paul writes to the churches. So Paul has, writes many letters to the churches in the New Testament, and this one is, is shorter and more muted. There's no names mentioned. There's none of the, hey, thank this person and say hi to that person and, and remind this person of that and call that person to come here and do this. There's, there's no relational element to this. He just gets straight into it. There's no prayer of thanksgiving. So many of the letters that Paul writes, there's this prayer of, I thank God for your faith and your faithfulness and, and the evidence of what He's doing in your life and your community. I'm so grateful to God and His goodness in you. There's none of that in this, in this intro to this letter. It's muted. And actually, after these short five verses, Paul gets straight into what he's contending for in the letter of Galatians. And next week, Ryan's gonna look at verses six through 11 at what it is that Paul is contending for. 
But even in these few verses, verses one through five, we can start to see something of what it is that Paul is getting at, why there is such an urgency in his heart. It's as if Paul is urgent. He's going, I don't have time for all that stuff. I've just got to get to the issue here. I've got to get straight into the reason for why I'm writing this letter. And we start to see the, the reasons in these first few verses because while it might be Paul's most muted greeting to a letter, there are these statements that Paul uses all the time, but in this greeting, he, he decides to expand them. And as he expands them, we see something of what he's contending for. So we see in verse one, he says, Paul, an apostle. Paul starts so many of his letters with, Paul, I'm an apostle. It's, it's his authority to be writing scripture and instructing the church and laying foundations in the early church. But he goes on to say this, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. There is something happening in the church of Galatians where Paul's feeling the need to defend the reality that he is apostle because of who Jesus is and Jesus called him to be apostle. It's not something that he decided to do. It's not something that other people decided to do, but that Paul was commissioned by Jesus himself as an apostle, one who would write scripture and lay down foundations in the early church. And he feels this need to defend his authority. He doesn't feel that in any of the other letters that he writes. And then verse three, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is a very common greeting of Paul's in all his letters. Grace to you and peace from you. It is a wonderful reality that, that Paul loves to invite his readers into the goodness and the delight of God's grace and the peace that we have with him and each other. It's how he starts all his letters. Grace to you and peace to you. Let's delight in the goodness of God towards us, the Father and the Son and the Spirit and all that they won for us. Grace to you and peace to you. He starts all his letters inviting his readers into the goodness of God, reminding them of God's goodness and kindness. But in this letter, unlike all the other letters, he expands on it in verse four. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And Paul expands this greeting and gets into some fundamental gospel truth. He says things like Jesus gave himself for our sins. He spoke earlier of the Father having raised him from death to life. He, he speaks of us being delivered from this present evil age. He speaks of Jesus being obedient to the will of the Father. And he says that all of this is to the glory of God. All of this points to the goodness of God. And he gets into these deep gospel fundamental realities and truths about the gospel and the message he would have preached to them. And so as Paul expands these, these greetings, we start to see that there is a gospel issue in the Galatians church, that, that there's something of the fundamental um, message of the Christian faith, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, that's starting to be go wrong, starting to be misunderstood. Something of its content and the implications of it are being misunderstood, and Paul is deeply concerned. And as we get into the book, we're gonna unpack this reality in, in detail and, and the implications of it. But simply what's happened is there are Jewish people who have come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And as they've done that, what they wanna do is they wanna bring the Torah or the obedience to the law and Jewish identity into the gospel, into their walk with God, in Jesus. They go, yes, Jesus is who he says he is, but I wanna bring some of what the law calls me, some of what, what obedience to the law looks like, and I wanna bring some of that, my identity as a Jewish person into this gospel. 
And namely, that identifying or that distinguishing factor is circumcision. And there are those who say we should still be distinct in that way. And Paul gets very grumpy in the book, as, as Jane told us, and said, well, you want that? You go and castrate yourself. You go and do that. Have fun with that. You're going to hear a lot about circumcision in the next few weeks, more than you probably ever thought you would. But that's part of the themes of the book. And Paul sees this gospel issue taking place and he says, I need to move towards this quickly and firmly. I love when I get to a street with my kids because it's an incredible opportunity for connection and instruction. Okay, so I've got Nathan and Layla. We get to the side of a road and I go, guys, grab my hands. That's connection. I get to hold their hands and then I get to say, and then I get to instruct them. Okay, we're at a road. What do we do? We look left, we look right, we look left again. Is it safe to go? And Nathan's too busy watching the truck that's gone by and Layla's like, yeah, it's safe to go, it's safe to go. And then I go, okay, now listen up. We're gonna walk quickly across the road, but we're not gonna run. Connection and instruction, off we go into that. And we do that thing. And so many of the letters of Paul are connection and instruction at the intro. He goes, hey, how, how's that person doing? And I'm so grateful for that person. I'm so grateful for your faith. He takes hold of their hands. He goes, we're about to wade into some stuff. He goes, and then I'm gonna instruct you and we're gonna cross this road together and we're gonna, I'm gonna instruct you into what it is I feel God is calling me to instruct you in as I write this letter, connection and instruction. But that's not what's happening at the beginning of this letter. What's happening here is far more that moment. So we live on a busy-ish road and we'll be saying goodbye to someone and there's often lots of kids and it's chaos. And then I'll see one of my kids running towards the road, oblivious that they're running towards the road. And I go, stop, don't do that. And there's no, there's no connection desire there. There's just a desire for instruction. And the reason for that is because I'm trying to prevent tragedy so that connection can continue. I'm trying to prevent tragedy. I'm not seeking connection in that moment. I'm going, I just need to stop what's about to happen or I will never be able to connect with this person again as they get flattened by a car. And Paul is saying, and Paul is saying, you guys are on a dangerous trajectory here. And this letter is seeking to stop you. This letter is calling you to watch out. You're close to the edge. Don't go there. I want to prevent tragedy in your faith so that connection can continue. And then Paul is going to spend the rest of the letter contending for the gospel, the heart of the gospel. What is the gospel? Who is Jesus? What has he done? And what does that actually mean for our lives? And this matters a lot. And so Paul contends and moves towards it quickly. Because he can see what's happening here is that this gospel, which originated in Jesus, is starting to become a gospel of man. It's starting to become a gospel of people. People are starting to go, hey, if we do these things, we add these things, we can improve on this message. And Paul's point or his defense, his starting point for defending and contending for the gospel is to, say, is to, to teach us what the true origin of this message is, what the origin of the gospel is. And his contending for the origin of the gospel is to tell us that this gospel is not a man-made message. This is not something he came up with and this is not something that other people came up with. And we see that right at the beginning of the letter in verse one where he's contending for his apostleship and he's going, I, I came with an authoritative message, not because I chose to be an apostle, but because God himself sent me as an apostle. 
So we saw it there and we spoke to it. But then in verse 11, as we jump down, we see Paul contend for the origin of the gospel very clearly. Verse 11, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Very simply, the message I brought to you was a direct message from Jesus himself. And Paul's encounter with Jesus, we're gonna look at it a bit later, but Paul's encounter with Jesus is a unique encounter. The, the very glory of the resurrected Jesus appeared to him. He heard his voice and he encountered the resurrected Jesus in a profound way, which would give him the authority of an apostle like the 12 apostles who went before him to lay foundations in the early church and write scriptures. He encountered Jesus in the most profound and unique way. And there are there are elements to, to the gospel that, that Paul would have heard as he persecuted the church. There are elements where, where he probably heard of Jesus and this claim that he's the Messiah and that he'd fulfilled the law and, and that there were wonderful implications of freedom for those who were Jews. He would have heard all that as he persecuted the church. That would have been why he persecuted the church. But he needed an encounter with the resurrected Jesus to have a revelation of the gospel. To have a revelation that goes, he is who he says he is. He has done what he said he would do. And it was through this encounter with, a, with the person that he had a revelation that this is true. And if you're here investigating the claims of Jesus and you're looking in, I think the application of this for you is that the gospel, this message of good news, we don't believe as a community that it's something that we made up. We believe that its origin and its source is the person of Jesus, the creator of the universe himself. And your encounter will probably not be like Paul's encounter. But I'm not inviting you to, to nice philosophies or 12 rules for life or, or mindfulness that makes you incrementally better over time. I'm inviting you to the very creator of the universe and an encounter with a person, Jesus. And that's what Paul had was an encounter with a person, Jesus. And Paul really wants to drive this home to the church in Galatians. This message isn't mine. It's not one of people. And so he goes on this kind of itinerary of his travels after he has this encounter. Verse 16, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the region of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. And Paul's laboring here and sharing his movements. He said, hey, I had an encounter with Jesus. He gave me his gospel to go and he sent me as a sent one to go and preach this message. And I went for three years and I preached it before having any encounter with the other apostles, the 12 who'd lived with Jesus for three years, witnesses, crucifixion, resurrection. I had no encounter with them. It was only after three years that I went to Jerusalem. And then when I got to Jerusalem, I only saw two of them and I was only there for 15 days and then I went on preaching my gospel. And it's a radical claim that, that Paul is making. He's saying, I met God. I heard God audibly. I had a radical encounter with him. 
It was a unique encounter and I have a unique calling. I, I am like the other 12 apostles who, who were witness to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and he's laboring this in the Galatian church because he so desperately wants them to know that his authority and his message came from Jesus himself. And in verse two, he writes, and all the brothers who are with me, that in, in this greeting, he's saying, I'm not alone, I'm not isolated, I'm not a madman. There are brothers and sisters around me who've seen the gospel, who've seen the impact of this message, who know my story, who know my journey, who are in agreement that this is the gospel and I'm not lying. It's incredible that for 2,000 years, the gospel message has not changed. 2,000 years, and it has had a profound impact around the world. Wherever it has been preached, it has taken root. It doesn't matter what culture, what time, what generation, where it goes, it has an impact. And the message has never had to change to have that impact. The same gospel that Paul preached all those years ago is the same gospel that the church has been preaching for 2,000 years and its impact is because it is origin is in the person of Jesus, God himself. And Paul knows that if we see the gospel as anything less than that, it'll be devoid of the very power of God that it comes with. The power of the gospel is found in its origin being God himself. Which is why Paul goes on to, to continue to defend the gospel and contend for the gospel by going, I want you to see its power. I want to reveal its power to you by showing you the impact that it had in my life. And in verse 13, he says this, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God and violently tried to destroy it. Paul was an active persecutor of the church. Paul, who wrote Galatians, Paul, who wrote so much about New Testament, was an active persecutor of the early church. And he didn't just denounce it in words. He wasn't just one who said, this message is ridiculous and I reject it and you should reject it too. No, he was active in his persecution to the point of murder. To the point of murder. He approved of Stephen, a man full of the Spirit and the presence of God, delighting in the grace and mercy of God. This man, as he, he was declaring the goodness of God and all that he'd done and the gospel message that had transformed his life, Paul stood there and said, stone him and watch this man be stoned to death. And in the heart of Paul was a desire not to just denounce the church, but to destroy it, to destroy it, to erase it from the face of the planet. He really was passionate, verse 14. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. And Paul was not just a faithful Jewish man. He went way beyond what, what, what the, the Jewish law would have called him to. When he speaks of the traditions of his father, what happened is over time, there were these traditions or customs or ways that got added to the law in such a way to create a buffer. If I just add stuff to this law, if I just add these traditions, what I can do is if I'm, if I'm not getting it right, at least I know I'm not breaking the law. And they added and added and added. And Paul was a Hellenist. He was on the extreme end of this. He lived an incredibly religious life of devotion, trying to follow. He was zealous, 
not just for the law, but for the very traditions of his fathers. And we can be sincere and zealous, and we can be sincerely and zealously wrong. We need to be careful what it is that we become zealous about, especially as those who are younger. There is a lovely reality to being young and zealous and passionate but we need to be careful what we're zealous about because we can be sincere and zealous and be sincerely, zealously wrong. And Paul was sincere and zealous. And this is not, Paul's not like an atheist or an agnostic. It's not like, hey, I don't believe in God. There is no God. And then there's this encounter with God and it's like, oh, I didn't think there was a God, but I've encountered the person of Jesus. I've heard the gospel. I've heard the message. Something's come alive in me. Yes, there is a God. Or an agnostic who's like, no, I'm not sure. Oh, Jesus, this is the answer. There is a God and, and this is him and I see it and let you come alive. This is something very different in Paul. Paul is going over here. Paul is over here saying, I believe that I am rooted in God and that I know God and I know how to have peace with God and I know how to be right with God and I know what God requires of me. This is who God is and I am zealous about this to the point of murder and anything that threatens this, I am willing to kill. You see, Paul hated the church and wanted to see its destruction because he believed it was a threat to the traditions of the fathers. I would rather kill than change my mind or listen to their message. That's the heart of Paul. That's his former life. I love how he speaks about a former life because it's speaking of that is who I was. It was so completely different. It was so completely other. It was so over there. I'm such a different person now that it's like it was a different life, a different time. It's, it's, it's former. But this was Paul's former life. Which is what makes verse 15 so incredible. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. Into this life of Paul, God moves towards him. And there is nothing in Paul Nothing in his beliefs, nothing in his behaviors, nothing in his actions, nothing in Paul that deserves God to initiate towards him. Nothing. There's nothing there. He is a hater and a murderer of the people of God. And he hates the message of Jesus. But when, but when God moved towards me in grace, he encounters Jesus and nothing would be the same. He encounters Jesus and suddenly from that moment of encounter, he can start to speak of my former life. Complete and utter transformation. And it was completely and utterly undeserved. He who had set me apart before I was born. Before Paul was born, Paul had nothing to do with the initiating love of God towards him. It is not something in Paul that caused God to initiate towards him. It was something in God that initiated him to move towards Paul and called me by his grace. 
This is what grace is. The undeserved merit, the undeserved favor, the undeserved kindness, the undeserved goodness of God. That is at the center of the Christian message, grace. A God who would move towards the most undeserving people. People you would go, never them. They don't deserve it. It can't be them. They're too hard. They hate Jesus. Not them. It can't be them. They're not good enough. They're not kind enough. They're not gentle enough. It's not them. Grace. Grace is the unmerited kindness of God and done. A theologian says we mustn't just limit grace to the unmerited favor of God. We must realize that it is the very power of God to bring transformation. And because of what is in God, he initiates towards Paul, one of the most undeserving people by our standards, in his power to transform his life. And it's not because of who Paul is, it's because of who God is. And he's gonna show mercy and kindness and goodness. And it's amazing what Paul understands about this moment in verse 16. God was pleased to reveal his son to me. It wasn't like God went, oh, Paul, you're, you're killing my people. Just, I'm gonna deal with you. No, Paul's going, I God's going, I delight in and of myself. I delight to show you grace. I delight to show you mercy. I delight to show you kindness, Paul. Even you, Paul, even you, I delight to take you and I wanna take you out of your, your hate and I wanna take you out of your brokenness. I wanna take you out of your rebellion. I wanna take you out of your sin and I wanna introduce you to this person, Jesus, my son. And your life will never be the same again. Grace. I want us to hear this church. At the center of them, the gospel is the reality that God initiated towards us and we did not deserve it. You can't earn it. But, but, but how does that, you can't earn it. You can't earn it. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. Look at this moment, Acts 9. This is the moment that Paul, God moves in on Paul. Acts 9. Oh, sorry, yeah, Acts 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That's the heart of Paul as he sets out on this road to Damascus. And I love that phrase, I don't love it. It is a telling phrase that reveals the heart of Paul that he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of God. But God delighted in that space to move towards Paul. Acts 9, this is the encounter. Verse three, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. How is it possible that this murderous, hateful man with the intent of destroying Jesus and his movement and his way, that God would delight to move towards him in grace? How's that possible? How's that possible? 
Well, Paul told us in the intro when he expanded on his greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. I don't think, as Paul describes this age as an evil age, I don't think that we struggle to believe that this is an evil age. Whether we are here investigating the claims of Jesus or we've been Christ followers for a while, wherever we are, I think it's quite easy to believe that there is evil out there in the world. We see it every day. We see it in the news. We, we just see the reality that this world is not the way it should be. And I don't think I need to convince anyone that there's evil out there. And I also don't think that I need to convince anyone that, there's, there's, that, that evil comes close at times. And that so much of the suffering and pain in our lives is because this world's not the way it should be. And evil exists in this world. And we, we will readily accept that, that there are things that have been done to us that reveals that evil's close and we have suffered and people have experienced suffering. So I don't think that no matter where you are that, that it's hard to believe that evil's out there and evil comes close at times. But I think what's hard to hear is that it's not just that evil's out there and evil comes close, evil's in here. That's what sin is. And Paul says that Jesus needed to go to a cross not because evil's out there but because evil's in here. And that he willingly substituted himself on our behalf. And actually, I think that we live in an incredibly distracted generation. And the reason that we choose distraction over quiet and reflection is because we don't like what's going on in here. And that when we have moments of pausing, it can get quite uncomfortable quite quickly as we realize that there are things here that I'm ashamed of. And shame is a horrible emotion. There are things here that I'm, I feel guilty of doing, pain and harm I've caused others. I feel guilt here and it's a horrible emotion. And there are things here that I'm, I just don't know what to do with. And there are longings here that I don't seem to be able to fill. And it feels like distraction is just the easiest way to deal with them. But what's so beautiful about the gospel is that the creator of the universe sees how we have broken relationship with him and that the evil's not just out there but within us. And he steps into human history and he, he goes to a cross and on his way there, he would experience the shame of it. He would experience the guilt of it. He would experience the judgment of juries and leaders. And he would be placed on a cross that he did not deserve. And the reason that he would do that is so that he could be our substitute. Because as we look to the cross and we see the evil, what we see is what we deserve. And the Bible teaches that our sin and the evil in here deserves a separation from God that is eternal. That's what hell is, an eternal separation from God. And we see the ugliness of that judgment on the cross. And we see the fullness of, of God's judgment on Jesus on the cross. And Jesus willingly goes there. And he dies a brutal death so that God could without hold justice 
And a person like Paul could take his shame and his guilt and his pain and the weight of the pain that he's caused other people and he could come to the person of Jesus and his cross and he could say, Jesus, uh, would you forgive me? Will you take this? And Jesus says, yes, it is why I came. It is why I died. I will take it. I will deal with it. And our shame, even a man like Paul, our shame and our guilt is obliterated. For sins past, present, and future, peace with God and peace with each other. And it's not because of who we are. It is by grace and because of who Jesus is and what he's done. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And it meets the deepest needs of every single person in this room. And there is power in the message and the life and the resurrection of Jesus. What happens is Paul is blinded Paul is blinded by this encounter with the glory of Jesus. He's literally blinded and his friends lead him into the city of Damascus. And as he goes into the city of Damascus, there is a spirit-filled, joyful Ananias, a Christ follower who, who knows the presence of God and he's literally in the presence of God, enjoying the presence of God. And as he's in the presence of God, enjoying the presence of God, God whispers to him, Ananias, go to this house. And he literally tells him which house to go to. Uh, there's someone there I want you to go and pray for. And he realises that it's Saul or Paul. And Paul changes his name throughout the Scriptures based on whether it's a Greek or Hebrew um, audience, Saul or Paul, same name, different languages. And he, he hears that it's Saul. And um, as he hears that, he goes, no, Lord, he's killing us. There's no ways I'm going to that house. He's like, God, you got this wrong. I'm just gonna get into your presence a bit more. No, Go. And Ananias, in faith and obedience to God, goes to this house and he walks through the door and this is their encounter. So Ananias de departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And scales fall off the eyes of Paul and he would never be the same again. One of the greatest haters of the church and persecutors of the church who wanted to destroy it would become one of its loudest voices and most powerful declarers of who Jesus is. And he would suffer greatly and great joy for the goodness of people and the glory of Jesus. It's the power of the gospel. It's the power of the gospel in Paul's life, a life completely and utterly transformed. And what's so amazing about this interaction, and we, we mustn't miss this. Think about this, this is Ananias. Paul is literally breathing hate on the church. He's coming to, to rip men and women out of their homes and drag them back to Jerusalem and beat them and throw them in prison and destroy this movement. And Ananias would have heard of brothers and sisters in Christ. Who, he would have heard of Stephen who'd been stoned. He would have heard of other brothers and sisters who'd been persecuted by Paul. 
and he walks over to this house and he walks through the door. And as he goes through the door, he moves towards Paul. He lays his hands on Paul and he says, brother, brother, how is that possible? Paul's murdering, Paul's killing, Paul's imprisoning. And immediately Ananias walks through the door and his first words on Paul is, brother, brother. And the reason he can do that is because Ananias himself has experienced the goodness of the gospel and is delighting in the reality of, I didn't deserve this. I didn't deserve God's kindness. I didn't deserve God's goodness. And I'm so grateful for the cross and all my guilt and all my shame was dealt with at the cross. And so I can move straight to Paul and go, brother, you are a forgiven one. You are one of us now. Your sin and your guilt has been um, dealt with. That is former life. I love you. Let me pray for you. That is reconciliation that you will see in no other message. As Paul is reconciled to God in the most radical way, he is invited in as a brother and sister to the very ones that he murdered and killed and persecuted immediately. And we see this in, church, we see this in history where in German concentration camps, those who were, were both prisoners and guards reconciling after the war because their primary identity is brother and sister. There is nothing, apartheid, and in all the ways that it tried to destroy relationship and separate on, on evil grounds, has no power to separate. It has no power compared to the gospel power to bring together those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a, its power to separate it is obliterated in the power of the gospel and the goodness of God. As we are reconciled to him, we are reconciled to each other as brothers and sisters. And I've been struggling in my prep for this message. So throughout the day, to the point of tears. Because my wonder and my joy and my delight in the gospel is so hard to articulate in words. And I got, I'm getting frustrated. These are tears of frustration because they fall so short. And as I've preached throughout this day, I've realized it's not in our words that the power of the gospel is shown. It's in our testimonies that the power of the gospel is shown. How is it that a man like Saul would be called a brother by Ananias? How is it like a man like Paul would become one of the greatest proponents of Jesus and his message? How is it that Goth would come to faith? I love his story. He tells it often. How there are people who come to him and go, hey, Goth, what you up to? And he's like, I'm a pastor. And they're like, ah, oh, that's really funny. Now, what do you really do? And they're like, he's like, no, I'm a pastor. And they're like, what? No, no, not you. Not you. I know your life. I saw you at school. I saw you at There's no ways. There's no ways. How is it that Jeff, how is it that Rigby, Josh, I mean, come on, Bussy, Sai, whose whole family came to faith in this community. Hindus, beforehand. Their entire family, starting with their sister, 
gospel preached, coming to faith. This is not a gospel that's out there. This is not a dead gospel in a book. This is a gospel that has taken root here in this community, in these people. You can look around this room and there are a bunch of people here where you would say, never, not them. They don't deserve it, surely not. And the grace and the power of God has worked, not out there, but in here and in me and in our lives. It is alive and it is powerfully at work. It is a message that comes with the very power of God. And that's where we see its beauty and that's where we see its power. And Paul knows this, he goes this. They were only, so Paul, his whole point is that no one knew me, but they knew about him. Verse 23, the only only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us, persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorify God because of me. Paul's going, no, they're going, no, 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 that's only God. And God gets the glory because God did the rescue. God poured out the grace. God initiated. God died on a cross and God said to Paul, it is my delight to invite you to meet my son and come home. Only God. Goth, only God, only God. You see, I left myself out of this. <laughs> I'm gonna ask the band to join me up here. And I hope that the Spirit has been at work and we're starting to delight in the goodness of God and the grace of God and the mercy and the kindness of God. And you know what's some what's interesting is that I left myself out of that because my story is quite different. My testimony is quite different. My, my testimony is one of, on the outside, pretty much doing the right thing. Quite a compliant child for 16 years of my life till God got hold of me. But below the surface was fear and uncertainty. And I can honestly say for the first 16 years of my life, well, I don't know when it started, but first 16 years of my life, there was just a fear of hell in me, literally a fear of hell. And from the earliest of ages, I can remember praying every night through every sin I could recall through the day in case I didn't make it through the night. I wanted to be sure where I was going. (laughs) And I lived in this anxiety and this uncertainty and this fear. And then one day on a camp in Mizpah at the age of 16, Steve Van Ryan actually, preached this grace and this gospel to me. And I remember sitting there going, this can't be true. If this is true, I'm doing it all wrong. This seems too good to be true. And I remember going off afterwards and literally going to Steve, is this true? And he's like, yeah, it is true. I said, will you pray for me? He said, yeah, I'll pray for you. But what you need to do is you need to go and do business with God. So he prayed for me and then I remember it like it was yesterday. I went outside, Mizpah, it's beautiful out there under the stars and I looked up and I said, God, is this true? Have you done it? Is this grace, am I forgiven? And in that moment, I felt the Spirit of God poured out into my life and all fear and doubt and insecurity was washed away and wave after wave after wave of realisation, I am forgiven and peace replaced fear, and joy replaced effort. And I got to surrender into that ever since that moment. And so the outside might have looked pretty much the same for my whole life, 
but there was turmoil before, turmoil before, and then peace when I encountered Jesus and had a revelation of him. That's what we're being invited into, peace with God and peace with each other. Let's stand. We're gonna go to the communion table now. But before we do, I wanna create an opportunity. There may be some people in this room who have never had an opportunity to respond to this message. Both morning meetings, I gave people an opportunity. Both morning meetings, multiple people responded to the gospel for the first time, very first time. And I wanna create an opportunity for that to happen tonight. If, if not, we'll go to the table, that's amazing. But I have faith that there may be someone in the room tonight that wants to respond to this message. That as I've been preaching, there's something that's stirred in your heart that said, He is who He says He is. I don't fully understand everything. You don't have to. God's at work. God's doing something. And the best thing to do when you feel something coming alive in you, and it may be God, is to respond to Him. You're not responding to me. You're not responding to anyone around you. You're responding to Him like me under the stars of Mizpah. And I wanna give us an opportunity to do that this evening. So if all of us would close our eyes because this is between you and Him, I'm not gonna ask you to do anything. I'm not gonna ask you to come to the front or go to the back or do anything except pray a prayer where you are. But if that's you and you, you wanna respond, I'm gonna ask you to just raise your hand up so I know who I'm praying with. Anyone in the room who wants to respond to Jesus for the very first time this evening? Just raise your hand up. No one else can see. Raise it up now. Amazing, amazing. Anyone else? Raise it up high, I almost didn't see that hand. Anyone else? Amazing. Amazing. If I missed your hand, it's okay, God sees it and I, uh, we're gonna pray and it's, it's business between you and Him. But, but church, this is holy ground. These are people who are wanting to respond to the message of Jesus for the first time. God's at work here. God's doing something. And if that was you, just pray a very simple prayer. I just wanna help you. You just go to the person of Jesus and say, Jesus, you're doing something in me and I wanna respond. I see my need for you. I'm sorry for the things in my life where I've caused, where I've denied you and caused others pain. Would you forgive me? Would I be reconciled to you? Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you knit me into this community? You, you now have brothers and sisters immediately. You can have brothers and sisters like Ananias who come and lay their hands on you and say, brother, sister. And it is a wonderful gift of the gospel. Pray, God, knit me into this community and help me to grow in what it means to know you and walk in relationship with you. Amen.